Hello and welcome to the first episode of Pondering Politics, the brand new podcast in 2022 um, that is going to discuss everything politics with your hosts, Jack Meyer. Peter Holt. I was going to say Zoe Walsh. <laughs> Peter, you can go next. Go ahead, Pete. With uh, Peter Hopwood as well. <laughs> and Aaron Goldsmith. Um, obviously, we're going to have a few teething problems. This is this is I think this is the first time any of us have ever done anything like this. So uh, we're recording it on Zoom so we can see each other. Um, and I'm hopefully going to use my technical wizardry to to separate the audio and upload this to at least Spotify is, is my hope here, so it can be on Spotify. So hopefully you're listening to this on Spotify. If you're lucky, you might be listening to this on other platforms. Um, so today we're going to just sort of use this as an episode to sort of uh, tell you what the podcast is going to be about, hopefully. Um, get to know us a little bit. I've got some questions. I've got five questions. So you can, can sort of get to know us and sort of uh, the politics we're interested in and stuff like that. And then um, towards the end... Uh, we'll sort of just do a wrap up and hopefully uh, that'll get you all excited for episode two which will be our proper first episode um, so what we have discussed is we are going to aim to release two episodes a month we're going to have one at the beginning of the month uh, usually on the second week of the month which is going to be about a broader issue um, for example, uh, anti-Semitism, we want to look at climate change, uh, the futures of different parties. Uh, I know Peter's really interested in space. So uh, we're going to aim to get those out once a month. And then at the end of the month, uh, we're going to hopefully do sort of a, 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 a this month in politics sort of thing. So um, we're hopefully going to be able to do a roundup of all the major political events. Obviously, with us all being British, um, there will be obviously some, it'll be largely a British roundup, but um, I know Aaron's very interested in uh, foreign politics, such as Canada and America. And uh, I personally am interested in uh, Middle Eastern politics. So hopefully we'll be able to bring some other stuff in there. So uh, as you, you you know our names, so I'll, uh, I'll we're, good, we're just going to introduce ourselves. Uh, we're all at uni at the moment, so we're going to say what we do at uni and stuff. Uh, and then we'll sort of just jump into it. So I'll start. I'm Jack, obviously. Uh, I'm doing a history degree. So hopefully I can bring some history perspective to the podcast. And uh, yeah, I think that's everything. Yeah, I'm, I'm Jack and I'm doing a history degree. So uh, let's go for Aaron next. Uh, I'm currently doing a master's degree in political science, which, yes, that means I'm the oldest person here. Uh, and they're just going to call me a boomer for an hour. So we're excited. It was his birthday yesterday, so uh, any of you who know Aaron will uh, obviously be able to date when we're recording this. Then Aaron is Aaron is the big twenty-two now, so he's he's our senior citizen uh, on the board. Yeah, um, I'm now finally done with everyone singing to me Taylor Swift. So thanks for that. <laughs> okay, uh, we'll move on to uh, we'll do Zoe next. Hello, I'm Zoe, and I'm studying a politics degree. There's not much to add to that, but yeah, Aaron, you are a boomer, and yes, I did sing Taylor Swift yesterday. Uh, and finally, Peter. Hi, I'm Peter, and I'm doing a politics and international relations degree. Um, I don't have much to add, but 
in my case, most people end up singing Ed Sheeran to me because uh, I've been told I look like him quite a few times. But yeah. <laughs> so, uh, oh, obviously, I'm the odd one out there. Uh, I didn't know that. I thought I was hoping someone might be, but you're all doing politics degrees, so it's fine. So, uh, and you freak. <laughs> I mean, I'll just try and drop in some history bombs, and you lot can just talk the politics. Um, so. Um, we're going to start with some questions sort of to, to get to know our politics and sort of like what we're interested in stuff. So uh, I've ran these past these guys. Um, some of them are obviously easier to answer than others. Uh, some of them might give you a, 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 va- a, a better idea of sort of where we stand as people. Um, some of them are, I think will just be nice to sort of delve into and, uh, and get to know sort of our views. And stuff. So I shall start with the first question, which is, who is your favourite Prime Minister? And I'm going to let, let let anyone jump in here. Jack, why don't you start? Um... <laughs> <laughs> well, I really, really turned that one back on me. Um, I, I would go with Tony Blair. Um, I think uh, in terms of, sort of what he did for modern politics and stuff, um, he was very instrumental. He has been uh, the best Prime Minister of the 21st century so far. Uh, you might say that's a that's a pretty low bar, but uh, I mean, if you just look at who we've got at the moment. Um, so, yeah, I mean, obviously, Tony's not perfect. I don't think any prime minister is. Um, but uh, he he would he would definitely be my favourite prime minister that this uh, this country's had anyway. Uh, as you can tell, I'm very much uh, more of a, a modern into my modern politics over my uh, historical politi- politics, which is uh, probably quite ironic for a historian. Um, Peter, would you like to go next? Tell us about your favourite Prime Minister. I'm going to go for like a really kind of classic answer here, which is uh, Clement Attlee. I mean, I know it's really obvious, but, you know, the NHS and all those innovations to public services and reforms that were sort of just after the Second World War were really quite groundbreaking and have had a lasting impact that we still enjoy to this day. So... I'd say he's probably my favourite. Uh, I'll go next then because we're, do, we're I mean, we're going in a circle here in in terms of the Zoom layout. But I'm going to go with William Pitt the Younger. Um, um, that's, a, that's a real throwback from Aaron. <laughs> Big up, that's my guy. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I got into political history last year, and I've been reading biographies on various different prime ministers. Um, like Lord Liverpool, I'm currently reading oh, audio books on uh, Stanley Borden at the moment, but you know, others like Ramsey McDonald, etc. And I just think that though, like, it, it was a tough choice between a couple, but I think Pitt the Younger was one of the, the main instrumental figures in stabilizing the country from political turmoil of people like Lord North and Rockingham, who, though I'm not gonna, you know, say that they were bad prime ministers per se, but there was a lot of instability with various prime ministers coming in and out and having short term and, you know, with, with the nature of how the constitution worked back then with the, with the king having more powers than they currently do. Um, Pitt or someone who was really able to, to put the country into a better position going into the 19th century. So I'm going to, I'm going to say William Pitt the Younger. And of, of course, he was uh, the youngest prime minister we ever had until David Cameron, I think. No, nope, he still is twenty-four. Oh, he still is. I thought I thought Cameron was there. He was the um, most since the eighteen thirty-two Great Reform Act. He's the youngest. No, oh. um, 
that's a young age to become. He, he went to Cambridge University at 14. That's, uh, that's <laughs> impressive for, for anyone, I think. It obviously helps his dad was Prime Minister, wasn't he, at one point? I think. He was, but he had a very tumult. He was really good during uh, the Duke of Newcastle's reign, where he was instrumental in that campaign with uh, a war that was going, going on at that moment. But by the time he actually became Prime Minister, he was kind of tired and ill a lot, so he wasn't the best Prime Minister. But he probably did benefit quite a lot. But not only that, his mum was also the sister to the Prime Minister, Lord Grenville. Mm. So, you know, a, a, an incredible political class of an upbringing for him. So it probably helped quite a lot. And finally, best for last, Zoe? Uh, I mean, I'm going to sound really boring now because Peter's already stolen my answer, but I was going to say Clement Attlee because, as Peter said, the kind of lasting impact NHS or like it's a bit like the council the building of loads of houses after the war like his ability to rebuild the country and like transform it I think really significant. I don't think we've had a prime minister like him since well he, he's quite interesting because obviously he comes and he beats Churchill Churchill wasn't I don't think it, most people weren't ready for sort of Churchill to lose either Churchill himself was quite shocked um, but then obviously it's sort of he loses and sort of Churchill comes back into power and stuff. So that's quite interesting. And um, one of the biggest criticisms of Atlee I've seen is that it wasn't Atlee himself. Um, I don't know if any of you want to sort of talk about that because obviously there are a lot is a tribute like the NHS and stuff, but there were a lot of people like... Um, Bevan. Bevan, yeah. Uh, obviously he was instrumental in the NHS and stuff. So I don't know if Peter or Zoe you want to sort of... Uh, Talk a bit more about Atlee and why you think that sort of he is sort of the best or our favourite PM, I suppose, is the correct term we should use. Because um, obviously none of us are saying objectively these were the best prime ministers. You know, we're, we're trying to remain as sort of as neutral as we can at points. Um, so, uh, yeah, I'll just open, I'll open that up to either of you two. I'm, I'm interested to hear. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting that point about it was the people around him who made the impact more. I mean... You know, you did have, um, obviously, Nye Bevan with the NHS. You then also had the other Bevan uh, working extensively on foreign policy. And, you know, it was interesting that you had a lot of these quite powerful figures influencing debate. I mean, Attlee was also quite instrumental in keeping the party under control. I mean, you had figures like Harold Belasky, who was a very prominent communist intellectual and was chair of the Labour Party around the time that the Labour Party won the election. And so you had interesting accusations that, you know, the party would tack a certain way uh, under people like Lasky's influence, but Atlee was very much able to kind of rein in a lot of um, control of the party. But as you say, there were other figures within his own cabinet who were very influential in, in impacting policy areas. And so I guess you could give credit, you know, to them. But I guess, you know, in a sense, you know, it was under his premiership and therefore, you know, the history books do give him the credit at the end of the day. But yeah, I mean... With politics, there's always individuals who are so important. I mean, when you're talking about Blair, I mean, personally, I feel very thankful to people like Mo Molan for her work on Northern Ireland. And, you know, there's a lot of figures who, you know, didn't always necessarily agree with their prime minister or, um, you know, very much, uh, you know, were given free reign to kind of pursue certain policies and do certain things as a minister. But at the end of the day, you know, the prime minister is the one who has the ultimate authority. 
Yeah, I was, I was, I was gonna, I was gonna just sort of uh, ask a question of, is that not true of any prime minister? I suppose. Well, so was, go on, Aaron. Well, well, I mean, a, a prime minister is, is in essence the the head of the government, but to have a really successful administration, you need, you know, all the people around you to do, to, to be competent. Really, I mean, but I think more the more one of the more biting criticisms of Attlee was not so much that the people around him were the people that did stuff because I mean, that's true of nearly every premiership, let's be honest. But it was more his r- control over the economy wasn't really good com- in comparison to many other prime ministers. So I think that's kind of more the criticism of Atley that I've heard personally. Yeah, so, yeah as we've said, this is, this is a sort of the issue with all premierships. Do prime ministers then get too much credit for work and stuff? Um, but we, we'll, we we shall move on. We, we don't want to take up all the time with this one question. So the next question, and this is something that we do want to look into. Uh, I know uh, Peter has been uh, really pushing for us to start looking into getting some guests on. Um, obviously, obviously that would help with growth and stuff. And it, it's always good to talk with someone who's in, more heavily involved with politics. So the so next question I want to ask is, who, who, who is your dream guest? Um, I debated whether or not I should restrict it to to being alive, but I, I will let you choose someone who may have passed um, quite recently, and I'll, I'll I'll let someone else start this time. So, uh, seeing as Aaron sort of passed it off to me last time, Aaron can start this time and tell us who his favourite or who his dream guest would be. Well, thank you. I uh, I don't I, I don't particularly have a, a, a dream guest. That I mean, there's certain guests that I would say. I'd love to have, uh, you know, any high-ranking politician for me would be an in, in, an incredible thing. Um, and also, I have specific friends um, that are extremely well-versed in politics that I would love to come on to this podcast. For example, the head of Lean Toss-Up, Robert Martin. But I don't think I have a particular <laughs> dream guest whereby I'll, like, if I, if I had to pick one guest, I'd make it be this per- one person, if you get what I mean. I think there are, there are multiple people who I think would be interesting. I think um, you know the the people that we've kind of talked about and discussed inviting onto the guests would all be extraordinary guests to have, and I look forward to all of them. Um, Zoe, that was a masterclass in impartiality. That was excellent. <laughs> I, I, watching that was excellent. Uh, but for me, when I was thinking about this, maybe it's the fact I've been given slash reading a lot of feminist books at the moment. But I'd probably say Pankhurst, Emily and Pankhurst, simply because. Like, I mean, I stand on the shoulders as a woman of a lot of people, and I just, I really like to speak to her and see what she'd have to say about. Maybe not things going on now, but like broader feminism and everything she had to say about that. Would what, do you think she would be um, impressed with how far women have come? Do you think? No. No. Because if like, how long ago is it we got the vote? Like a hundred years ago, and we've still like got a long way to come. I think, well, at least, I mean, I can't really speak for Emily Pankhurst, but I think we've come a long way, but we've, we've not come far enough. And I think that would probably annoy the hell out of her, considering the people like she worked with in the suffragette movement died for our right to vote. And there's still things like that we don't have equality on. And there's, yeah, I don't think she'd be very impressed. She'd probably be yeah. happy that we've got the vote and we've had like two female prime ministers, but there's still more there's still more work that needs to be done 
Yeah, there was obviously the the famous one of the the suffragette throwing herself under the horses at sort of the king's the king's racing and stuff so like that. Uh, it, it, do you do you think she would be obviously the two female prime ministers we had were both conservatives, and um, the the Labour Party has yet to have a female leader. Um, do you think she would say that uh, Margaret Thatcher and Theresa May did a lot for women? Because there's that very famous clip of I want to say it was Mel B from the Spice Girls, uh, who said that Margaret Thatcher is like a, a female idol. Do you think she would agree with that? Do you think she'd agree that they helped empower women, especially in politics and stuff? I think the fact we've had two female prime ministers, I'm not going to say I agreed with everything they did, but I'd definitely say that like the fact we've had that and the fact we know like it can be done and they're capable is a positive thing. But I also think we've seen... I'll never forget the front page. It was Theresa May and Nicola Sturgeon having discussion about Brexit. And bear in mind, that's two of the most powerful politicians in this country at the time. And the Daily Mail did some front page about their legs. Mm. And I just, I think like it shows how far I've got to come and how, I mean, with Labour having ne never had a female leader, it still shows that there's a lot of work that needs to be done about how, I mean, it's, it's said quite often, I'm not sure whether I'd say I agree with it, but if you put a white man in a suit and stand in for leader of the Labour Party, he'll win. <laughs> and, um, you know, like there's, there's, there's certainly merit to the argument because look at all the leaders we've had. Yeah, very true. Um, obviously, uh, in Scotland, we uh, Labour have had their first, uh, I want to say he, uh, POC. Anasawa. Yeah, he's a, obviously he isn't a white man, is he? So... Yeah. Uh, I think he's the first, I want to say he's the, apart from, because I remember, I think Disraeli, was it, is it Disraeli? I'm thinking yeah, Disraeli's Jewish. Disraeli was Jewish and stuff, there was a lot of discord around that, but obviously there's still a long way to go for sort of women and people of colour in politics and stuff. So, uh, yeah, I think it'd be great to have someone like Pankhurst on to obviously talk about what she thinks of where we've, where we've come from and where we are now. Uh, Peter? We're also kind of delving into, um, you know, people from the past and stuff. I mean, you know, my, mine's a more recent one. I feel really, really inspired by just seeing so much about the way that people like Desmond Tutu have impacted the world. And I thought, I thought it was really um, heartwarming to see people from across the political spectrum, world leaders from every part of the world, um, people with real influence, just discussing the way that, you know, his actions and his words have had such a positive impact on the world. You know, he was someone who didn't step away from challenging injustice. And, you know, there's so many quotes that even I, I hadn't quite acknowledged he'd said those quotes. You know, there's so many quotes that we see about equality and justice and, and, and you know, thinking through how you treat other people. And he was someone who was really at the forefront of that. So it's obviously really sad to see he's passed away recently, but equally really inspiring to see the, the impact he's left on the world. And so if I could kind of, you know, have someone from the past, you know, to speak. I think he'd be someone who I would love to have a conversation with. He, you know, I don't know if you've seen the videos of him with the Dalai Lama, you know, someone who could have good banter, but also equally, you know, stand up on, on a stage in front of thousands of people and, you know, really make an impact on challenging evil injustices like apartheid. And, you know, that's, you know, what an incredible guy. So he's, he'd be someone I'd really enjoy having a conversation with if I if I could pick someone from history. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm also a big uh, Desmond Tutu fan, and I was I was very sad to hear of his passing. Uh, 
I'd recently been studying apartheid in my sort of my history course, so uh, it was it was it was a shame to see him go. Uh, as you said, he was a sort of a he he always stood up for injustice and stuff. Um, people people are always willing to sort of lump in him with Mandela and stuff, but he was he was as much as critical of Mandela when Mandela was wrong as he was, obviously the the injustice that was the apartheid system in South Africa. So I think that's a that's a pretty good choice. Um, my dream guest. Um, this is a this is a really good question. Um, if I and obviously you two have said uh, Zoe and Peter said uh, some historical figures, so I'm gonna I'm gonna aim for a bit more modern. But I'd say either Theresa May or Jeremy Corbyn. I think purely because I think for a lot of us, especially I know myself and sort of uh, I don't want to speak for for you guys, but. The 2017 to sort of like 2019 parliament parliamentary period was like the most active I've been in politics in terms of sort of interest and stuff. Um, like uh, obviously I'd I'd been building up an interest in politics, but it wasn't. It's only since Brexit where I've classed myself as someone who was interested in politics. And I would I would love to, especially May, because I know May said she's not going to write a memoir, so. I'd really love to get her to talk about her time as uh, prime minister and uh, especially uh, how she felt and stuff, because I think that'd be really interesting because um, she she had a rough ride of it. And I think she's doing a very good job as a backbencher. So uh, I'd, I'd definitely, I think if I had to pick Corbyn or May, I'd go with May. Uh, but Corbyn would just be as interesting as well. Um, particularly, I imagine he wouldn't, if he came on, he wouldn't want us to really talk about the anti-Semitism issue. But it, it'd be nice to chat about that. But obviously, we could talk about Brexit and sort of um, how he how he feels. Because uh, obviously, the the line is they won the argument. So I'd love to hear. Um, I'd love to hear about how he thinks he won the argument. So uh, I think those those would be my picks. Um, the next question I've got is: What is the biggest issue facing the country slash the world? Um, so this can be like either a domestic issue for us particularly or sort of a global issue that sort of uh, faces all of us. Um, so uh, I shall let uh, Peter start with this one. So, I mean, obviously the biggest issue right now is climate change. Um, I think that's something that we all probably think is a, you know, a big deal and something that we need to talk about more and we need to see action on. Um, so I know it's a bit of an obvious one, but, you know, I think it just, we can't understate its importance enough. Um, you know, like, it's something that's going to have, like, profound impact on our world. But I think actually, like, there's also kind of the more long-term things relating to kind of um, national identity and, and the rise of things like populism. So I'd say actually... You know, I'll, I'll let someone else pick climate change as well to talk about because I'm aware this is probably something you guys are also wanting to say. But like in terms of like one of the immediate kind of things that we're facing is like this kind of shift in, you know, perception around belonging and community and, you know, the rise of Scottish nationalism and obviously the phenomena of things like Brexit and Trump and Marine Le Pen and those kind of rises. Those have been really interesting to watch and also really challenge our sense of... Um, you know, normality with national identity and, and the way that politics has previously been ran. So like those kind of trends and things, I think are, you know, certainly some of the biggest issues at the moment. Yeah. 
Is there, is there anyone else who does want to jump in on climate change? Say that. Zoe, I think, wants to. Peter Hopwood, I'm going to get you. I said for that question, I was going to go climate change, you stole a thunder. But yeah, climate change for the obvious reason of like, we all need an, an inhabitable planet. And COP26 happened. And it just, that I've, I've been told, this is related. Aaron told me a few days ago, Zoe, you've got to watch Don't Look Up on Netflix. And I started watching it and it just felt like PTSD from the news. So it, it just feels like that, like we're not moving fast enough. And all the scientists know we need to be moving faster and we're just not. Because it'll make some rich people annoyed. So what? definitely climate change because that like, we need to act otherwise our whole planet's going to die. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think sort of my answer would sort of feed into that as well, because I was going to talk about sort of the lack of sort of the global corporate cooperation and stuff, um, especially when it comes to sort of climate change. Um, we've got the UN, which sort of, uh, to me, is an ineffective body. Um, can't really do much. And then sort of you've got problems with obviously China competing with Russia and all this sort of uh, China competing. I mean, they they are competing with China competing with the US and stuff. So I think I think the biggest issue is the fact that we we can't sit down at a table and discuss and actually come up with an effective plan. Um, it's all it's always got to be limited in some way. It's never. I mean, our plans can be optimistic, but they're never met. Uh, the Paris Climate Agreement, for one, is it's having. I, I think um, from my research, it's having sort of a mixed impact. There are some countries that are really meeting it others that aren't too much um so yeah my, my issue would be the, the the lack of global cooperation on, on big issues like that um of course uh, we get to hear from Aaron so I'm interested to see what he's got to say I'm not going to talk about climate change because no. we've had three people talk about climate change I think it's you know the the, the I'd say probably the biggest um, I'm gonna I'm gonna list two which actually links to one of the things that you said uh, Jack which is the foreign relations between China and America, I think are going to have drastic repercussions. You know, are we going to go into another Cold War? Are we not going to? And I think that if we go into another Cold War, that's going to have serious impacts on climate change, obviously, because, you know, if, if, if you want to solve global climate change, you need global um, communication and relations that are positive. Um, but the other thing is, I think that right now that the, the the way the economy works internationally and, and, and the way that every, we're seeing a rise of populism. And I think that the reason why we're seeing a rise of populism is because the, the politicians aren't trusted. And I think that um, the economies aren't really working for the people. And I think that's got incredible repercussions, both politically and in terms of, you know, the current situations within, with, within the people. And I think that that is one of the most important issues today because if the economy isn't working for people the, you know that the, the people aren't you know in a positive landscape and of course you're not really going to be able to make drastic global change within the economy to be in a climate change position if people do not feel feel as if the current way that things are headed is not working for them and they're aligned to that is to go back to a time where they felt that it was so that that's I'm I'm linking a bit to climate change, but I think those two are the biggest issues at the moment. So, uh, do do you think um, do you think the likely cause of World War Three should it come then? 
um, would be US and China instead of US and Russia. What is historical? I mean, I, I don't particularly think there will be a World War Three. I don't think anyone really wants a World War Three, especially in the way that World War Three will likely play out with, you know, po- the possibility of involvement of nuclear weapons. But I think that a Cold War specifically, Second Cold War, would be extremely detrimental because though there, you know, it will be a Cold War, so there won't be any conflict on the ground it's got incredible um incredible effect in terms of not just relations between the two nations involved but all the nations that are allies with them and what you will see is a dramatic shift within how the political west and the political east in some inverted commas um relate to each other and are able to cooperate on the global issues that we're facing yeah, um, do you think the so the, the way I'm thinking it, a lot of the fronts that I can think of for this possible second Cold War would be in Asia. Do you think it would play out anywhere else? Because obviously in Asia you've got Taiwan, Hong Kong, North and South Korea. Do you think do you think it'll be a more global, or do you think it's going to be very regionalized? Um, I mean, for sure, there's going to be you know drastic um, implications within Asia. With you know former Soviet states, um, how are they, what role are they going to play in terms of a picking a side between China? But I also think another area is the Caribbean, because obviously um, the Caribbean is already extremely divided between um, from the Cold War between America and um, Russia, and in terms of that certain countries don't talk to each other as a result of that and um, China trying to move in there and in also Africa as well there's going to be massive implications in those two regions I mean if I could just chip in actually I think in some ways like to an extent the issues of tension are actually less to do with kind of typical ideas of borders and regions and I think we're now seeing it kind of drift into areas like um, you know for example uh, technological developments I mean, you're seeing, you know, uh, a lot of hacking and uh, ransomware and that kind of stuff. Actually, you know, there's been a lot of kind of allegations of nation state interference with those things. You're also seeing issues like space travel and, you know, the issue where just on the news recently, you had one of Elon Musk's satellites almost crashing into the Chinese space station. Now, if that was to happen, you know, Elon Musk's ability to have these satellites is down to... um, you know, a sort of a system that isn't regulating space travel properly, but it could have profound impacts on international relations if, for example, you know, one of Musk's satellites does destroy a Chinese space station. And then you've also got other issues like water and energy. You know, you're seeing the way in which uh, Russia's gas and uh, um, Russia's gas market is having an impact on countries like Germany and the way in which the European Union responds to that, um, you know, whether they choose to um, you know, how they choose to progress with energy consumption and resources, you know, issues like that and how, you know, how these things that transcend traditional ideas of borders, issues of how they progress, these, these things to do with consumption and, you know, issues that aren't related to borders and things. That, to me, is where the tension lies and where the future of politics will be defined in terms of the potential for a future Cold War or, you know, uh, international crises so I think it's a bit more complex than just regional issues or you know border tensions and things 
there's a sort of feeds into my last question, which I'm actually, which I'm actually going to sort of broaden up a bit. Um, so my last question was going to be sort of, are there any sort of foreign politics you're interested in, uh, obviously? Um, but I sort of want to broaden that up and sort of just open it up to just any interest really outside of politics. So just to sort of uh, let our let our new listener audience, audience uh, hopefully, hopefully there'll be a number of you listening there. Uh, sort of let, let them get to see if we've got any interest outside of politics and stuff. So uh, I'll, let, I'll let Zoe start first with this one. You mean any interest outside of politics? It can be, or it can be about outside of just British politics sort of thing. So. That's fine. Uh, not to, you know, meet every stereotype in the book, but I like cooking. I like baking. Aaron's currently eating brownies that I made. He's celiac and I've not poisoned him. You should all be impressed. Uh, other than that, I like F1. I've got back into F1 recently. Great work, Max. Uh, I'm also trying to get into Canadian politics because I mean it, it sounds interesting I've got friends who are into it and it just sounds a bit on my street so I'm trying to get into that but other than that I'm not sure I think we'll come to find out I'm oh I'm very this should probably be said I'll say this early so you all know what you're signing up for I'm very northern very pro-north I will bring up the north-south divide at any available opportunity so just be prepared for that so yeah that's probably it I, I would also like to add, I am also Northern. Um, <laughs> I know, I think Aaron's from the South. I'm not too sure where Peter's from. Peter, where, where are you from? Well, you see, I'm from Chester, and there's always a debate about, you know, ah. Chester really the North or not, but I don't feel Southern, so, you know, I don't know. <laughs> it's for you guys to decide, for the listeners and for the rest it of the could time. be Midlands. Yeah. It's not Midlands. It's not Midlands. It's not so, well, if, it's, if it's not the North, it's definitely not the South. Let's put it like that. Football <laughs> stadium, most of it's in Wales. It's not quite the North in that a lot of people from the North don't say it's the North, but it is part of the Northwest region. So it's a bit of a debate. It's kind of its own thing, to be honest. But yeah. Yeah. So, uh, well, I mean, we've got Aaron, so he can be our token Southern boy. I, I, I am a Southerner. Big up Hertfordshire. Hertfordshire independence. Zoe didn't say, but she's from sort of the Greater Manchester area. I'm from Lancashire. I'm from, oh, I'm from Lancashire, mate. Right, I'm gonna go. You've asked, you've said this now, so I'm gonna go off on one. I am under Andy Burnham's mayoralty, right? I'm under that. But Greater Manchester is an administrative region. Lancashire is the historical county, and it still counts. There's a, is it Michael Portella? There's a, like a famous quote from when they set up all this malarkey. I'm in Lancashire, right? This Greater Manchester, the only perk of it is Andy Burnham. So, you know, Lancashire for the win. Uh, okay. Uh, me and Zoe from Lancashire then. We shall, we shall quickly move on. Um, Aaron, what, what, you've got interests outside of politics or outside of British politics? I'll start off with the nation's politics I'm interested in. Um, Australia, I can't wait for this election. Um, Canada because I, I, I had to cover it for a publication I write for and I knew nothing about it and now I love it. It's really good because all the people are so nice to each other. It's, it's the most polite politics you'll ever see, it's, but it's brilliant. The, the quote <laughs> I've heard is um, Canada, the place where even the Conservatives are progressive. Oh, uh, uh, yeah, Erin O'Toole. Well, you've got the People's Party, which is... A, a sect of the Conservative Party which broke off because uh, the leader Barnier lost the leadership election by a smallest amount and was annoyed about it so he, he set up a new party 
Um, but Erin O'Toole's tried to move the Conservative Party more towards the centre ground because he, uh, he wanted to appeal to the Greater Toronto region, the 905, which the Andrew Shear, though he made inc- a substantial amount of gains across everywhere else in the country, failed to make gains there and therefore didn't win the election because there's the greatest concentration of seats in that area and in kind of and especially on Ontario uh, more widely and he, he just didn't get a pill there and it happened again in 2021 so um even though they tried to move towards the left uh, I'm interested in American politics because I think you really have to be these days because th- there's a reason why it's one of the biggest powers in the world though you know our opinions on America aren't you know always the best um <laughs> But outside of politics, I'm I'm a big football fan. Uh, I'm an Arsenal fan, so I know how what it feels like to have your heart broken. Um, I'm an F1 fan. Got Zoe into it, so that's one of my great successes of my life. You're remarkably uh, easily pleased. Yeah, I, I'm pretty. I'm a pretty easygoing guy. I just kind of just like just do shit. Really, I don't really think about it too much. But I, I'm a. I just love racing in general. I you know whether it's watching. British touring cars, MotoGP, racing myself. I just find it all fun. Yeah. Um, are, are we all into football? I mean, I'm, I've, I, I, I'm sort of into football. I'm not, I'm not too into it. If I had to say I supported a team, I'd, I'd, I'd support Liverpool because that's where I base myself mostly. Don't don't want to be a stereotype, but the only one here who isn't is Zoe. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Could not care less. I downloaded the BBC Sport app specifically so I could deal with Aaron when he gets annoyed about Arsenal. Uh, we we know Peter's a, a Liverpool fan because uh, when he joined uh, the call this morning, he was in his Liverpool FC dressing gown. So, uh... <laughs> <laughs> revealing all this. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I shall hop in next. Sort of change up the order, so I'm not always last. Um, uh, I'll start like Aaron did. Uh, sort of politics wise, Middle East. Um, History-wise as well, that's why my big fascination lies. Um, so I'm hoping, should we do any episodes based on particular Israel and Palestine, issues in Turkey with secularism, Iraq? Um, obviously, that goes with who I said my uh, sort of my sort of favourite MP to study is. Um, I'm hoping I shall be able to sort of uh, shed some light to those conversations. Um, weirdly, I think I've been into Canadian politics longer than Aaron. Um there is a there's a guy on YouTube who I'm sure people who are into Canadian politics. Uh, I want to get his name right. Uh, J J McCoolio, um, who I'm a big fan of, who's obviously Canadian himself. Uh, so, and I mean, every I think we're all everyone follows American American politics because you can't escape it. So, um, obviously that. And then sort of outside, I'm a big reader. I'm currently reading the Game of Thrones books. Um, if anyone would like to talk theories about Game of Thrones sometimes, let me know. I'm big into that stuff. Um, I play an instrument. I've, I brought my trombone back to uni. I'm looking for somewhere to play it in the new year. I like video games, which is pretty, pretty classic. So, uh, so yeah, that's sort of what I'm into uh, with politics and outside of politics-wise. Um, and finally, uh, well, Peter? Yeah, so, I mean, I love, um, you know, all sorts of stuff I mean like cooking is a is always a good one Zoe's stolen that one you know but um you know but also I mean I not only look like Ed Sheeran but I do actually play a lot of music and sing um I play piano and guitar 
and I do sing. So, you know, maybe at some point, if I, uh, you know, if I'm forced to, I might end up having to do the Ed Sheeran impression at some point. But, you know, not in a rush to do that. I just uh, can't wait for you to serenade us. Um. <laughs> that's, how, that's how we're going to keep viewers. We're just going to see it to form shape of you. I mean, I've, I've had... <laughs> I've genuinely, I've had, you know, like, I've had so many people call me Ed Sheeran, but you know what? It never gets old. It never if, it, gets... if it helps, if, 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 you, if you don't know what Peter looks like, he's got ginger sort of floppy hair and a, a beard going on and sort of the, the those rosy cheeks, Ed Sheeran. He looks like Ed Sheeran. He looks like Ed Sheeran. Imagine Ed Sheeran. That's what he looks like. And that's what he looks uh, like. Yeah. So, this, this is Those the point where I plug my social media and say, you know, it's just easier to look at there, you know. It's, right. <laughs> but, um, but, but in terms of, um, also in terms of like politics interests, um, I'd say one of the things I'm really interested in is actually the relationship between religion and politics. It's an area that doesn't always get talked about much, but actually you can see some really interesting trends and it's important for understanding motivations for voting, but also just the way in which it impacts local communities and people's lives. And I think it's an area that doesn't, as I say, get talked about enough. And it's interesting because you've got data that, for example, shows that London, despite its reputation for being really labor, really progressive, quite secular, it's actually got the highest proportion of people who are actively religious in the country. So what impact does that have on how the Labour Party and London parties engage with religious communities? For example, um, you also have countries like the Netherlands, where you know, it was the first country to, uh, I think it was the first country to legalise um, equal marriage. Um, but it's also got a really prominent Bible belt with really conservative Protestant communities. And they go out and vote a lot. And that has an impact on the political culture there. So it's interesting that you know, you can make a lot of presumptions about the nature of local communities and data, but actually, you know, there's often more to the story, and especially with religion and politics, it's a really interesting relationship that I think would be interesting to explore. Yeah, yeah so uh, so that sort of links into, so I think I sort of mentioned it at the beginning, I can't remember, so, um, but um, sort of the way this podcast will work is that we're going to do two episodes a, a month, obviously. Uh, we're going to do the end of the month roundup, so we'll talk about all the big events. Uh, if Boris has had any more parties, uh, is Keir Starmer any more likable? All that sort of thing, uh, all that sort of stuff that goes on in British politics and anything obviously interesting to happen abroad. Obviously, we've got the midterms in America coming up this year. Hopefully, we'll be able to talk about them at some point. Aaron's probably going to make us talk about elections in Canada and did he say Australia? Or- um, so we'll we'll try and talk to them about the end of the month and then uh, sort of the beginning of the month when this episode comes out what would usually be here is going to be uh, something on a on a broader topic so peter's touched on that um one week we might do an episode about religion and politics and how that plays in uh, another week uh, another one of peter's ideas he wants to do space uh, we can do women in politics with zoe and stuff so uh, I want to look at things like obviously Israel and Palestine. That'll be that'll be a, a huge, uh, hugely interesting uh, conversation. Um, that is that is how we're going to aim to sort of run it. And hopefully, should we stick with it, we we should build up our, our loyal audience who want to come week in week out to well every every other week to listen to our beautiful voices talk about a range of issues. Um, so uh, I hope you've all enjoyed getting to know us and stuff. Um, so that's the plan going forward. Um, so I'm just going to start some plugging 
some things so you can you can start keeping up with us. Um, so you can follow us on Twitter. Uh, our Twitter handle may change. Peter was going on it before, but at the moment it is at capital P N D E R capital P politics. So pundering politics on Twitter. Um, we're currently on eight followers. So just in just in the space of today, we've gained eight followers. Um, that's something to celebrate. Uh, you can follow our individual Twitters, which um, our our podcast account is following. But you can follow us. Uh, Peter is at Peter D Hotwood. Zoe is at, at Zoe Walsh underscore. Aaron is at Aaron underscore G Smith, and I'm at Jack Myatt seventeen. So you can follow us there. Um, if you'd like to email us for for any reason, if it's to send hate emails or to uh, give us any suggestions, uh, you can email us at punderingpolitics at gmail.com. That is the same way sort of our Twitter handle is, so P-N-D-E-R-I-N-G politics at gmail.com. Um, hopefully this will be going out on, um, tw- uh, not Twitter, Spotify, so you can listen there. I mean, that's the only place you can listen uh, at the moment I've got planned. So, uh, But follow our Twitter for weekly updates of, of when we're releasing, when we're recording. Uh, if it's all right, I would just like to say I'm promoting sending us hate mail via email or Twitter up to you. But you know, the more the encouraged. It makes us feel. It makes us feel like people are listening. So yeah, yeah please make me hate myself. Do you know? Do you know what they say? Any engagement is good engagement. So um, I think we're gonna. I think we're done here. Um, it's been. It's been a hopefully a great first episode to listen to, and hopefully we've got you excited for the next episode, which will which will be. January's this month in politics. So I've been Jack Meyer. I'm Aaron Goldsmith. Good evening. Goodbye would be the correct thing. I'm Peter Hopwood, and this has been a real pleasure. So yeah, goodbye. I'm Zoe. Bye. Bye, and hopefully see you in the next episode.